0: Hi, this is Christine Nye, Horticultural and Programs Manager from the Shedd Aquarium. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1.
1: And now for the gardening report. It's time to plant your tomatoes and your summer corn. As always, you want to watch out for any dark clouds advancing fast on the horizon. It's probably a plague of locusts. In 1875, a swarm of Rocky Mountain locusts covered 200,000 square miles of farmland. Farmers tried to drive them out using poison, kerosene, and setting their fields on fire. One day, the locusts mysteriously vanished and are now believed to be extinct. But you never know. Coming up, the Department of Defense implants computer chips and caterpillars. A woman tries to murder her husband with tarantula pie. And millipedes invade small towns across Europe. After these messages.
0: Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk.
2: Good planets are
3: hard to find Temperate zones and tropic climes True currents and thriving seas Wind blowing through breathing trees Strong ozone and safe sunshine
4: will. Good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in
0: the main... Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome. Sand. At 847...
3: 847- A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877-711-5611. Now back to American Radio Broadcast.
0: On Facebook and Instagram at the Mike Novak Show, and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are: she's lean and he's green. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
4: Thanks, Mike Novak.
5: Ah, uh, maybe that's our new. Uh, it's our hashtag. Instead of blame Bill, hashtag blame Bill, we have hashtag... Thanks,
2: Mike Novak. Perfect. You've got it.
5: Can we can we work on that? Okay. Yeah. And uh, Randall wants to steal that. I think it's going to pop up in a few other shows around here. Uh, don't blame me. Don't blame me because all y- you just thank me, right? Thanks, Mike Novak. Okay. You blame Bill, uh, but thanks, Mike Novak. Exactly. Lot. There's It's a double hashtag kind of thing. Welcome to the show. <laughs> And uh there is a Randall sighting on the other side of the board. Uh keep uh Ellie keep pouring coffee on his head. All right. Just keep doing that so that if he falls face down on the control board, it's all over. All right. He's he's uh he had a long night. So well, you uh, can't see Mike is the um the IV of coffee that's oh, actually coming oh. through ah. the ceiling. Oh that's why you had that baseball cap with the little tubes coming out of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. okay. All right, got it. Uh, Welcome to the show. Boy, have we got a lot of stuff going on today, and uh, we're going to cover the gamut. It's It's a veritable smorgasbord of horticultural issues and topics, starting with rain gardens and moving into bonsai and going into tomatoes and then going into native plants. I don't know how we could possibly cover it all. So that's happening today. That is the short explanation. Uh, and that's all you're getting right now is the short explanation because our first guest is here and she's here because she's involved in in a deal today and she has to duck out of here. Uh, and that's Julia Bunn, who's been on the program before. She's the spirited gardener. And uh, we'll give you a ding for that. Uh, hi, Julia. How are you?
4: Hey, Mike. It's great to see you. La- you too, Peggy. Uh,
5: last time you were on the show was uh, uh, Progresso. Uh, Like the suit. Wow,
4: it's been a
2: while. It has
5: been a while. And uh, you are involved uh, in the Illinois Green Alliance Tour, which is the Green Built Home Tour. Um, And I know Ron Calgill was talking about this yesterday on Mighty House. He was talking about the building end of things. Now we're talking about the garden end of things. And this is the second day and the last day for the 2018 Green Built Home Tour. And you can find information about that on my website minovak dot net if you're interested, uh how long does that go today?
4: Uh, it goes from ten to four okay, and uh, that's
5: why she's got a duck out here at nine thirty <laughs> 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 and she will do that uh and we're gonna be breaking in just a second, so but we'll come back we'll have a longer conversation but tell me uh, I tell you what before we break, tell me a little bit about the spirited gardener, which is your outfit
4: uh spirited gardener, we're <clears throat> a landscape design uh and uh a pro- uh, project management company uh that uh, assists and also we do consultations to assist people in understanding how to put in rain gardens and actually putting in and delivering rain gardens and larger garden mm-hmm. designs so mm-hmm. we like to integrate Uh, I haven't met a house without a downspout, and I think that it's really uh,
5: an awesome... I thought you were going to say, I haven't met a house with a downspout I didn't like. But that's a possibility, too, because that helps your rain gardens, doesn't it?
4: Oh, yeah. I always say it's a free ecosystem service, Mm -hmm. uh, all this water that we're throwing away into the stormwater system and also polluting more because we're not infiltrating, spreading, and uh, uh, slowing down the mass movement of water over all these impervious surfaces.
5: Which is the whole idea. And when we come back from our break, uh, one of the things I want to do is to talk about the purpose of rain gardens. I get a feeling that a lot of people who have talked about rain gardens, have heard about rain gardens, have no idea what a real rain garden is. Do you, do you see that in your work?
4: Oh, yeah. A lot of times people we'll go... <laughs> A rain
5: garden. What's that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but see, I think they also go, oh, yeah, rain gardens. And then you ask them what it is, and is. I'm like, huh? All right. We'll talk about rain gardens when we come back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. From boat to doorstep. Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org.
2: Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day.
4: Your talk This is your talk Only on 1590 Your talk WCGO Evanston, Chicago Why I
6: get up Why I
7: get up How can I get up Shut up, Wesley Why should I get up This whole
6: Forever, walk it up. Thanks, Mike Novak.
2: <laughs> You're having fun with that thing. I'm today. having
5: a good time today. Yeah, that's in honor of uh, our engineer uh, Randall, who uh, had no reason to get up today, but there he is. Yeah, he did it to drink coffee and all right push buttons. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very pleased to have in studio Julia Bun, the spirited gardener. Uh, she's part of the 2018 Green Built Home Tour presented by the Illinois Green Alliance. We have to bust them. I'm sorry. We we busted them on the Facebook part of this, so we're going to bust them right now. Uh, we're talking about the tour today, which is the second day of the tour. Again, it goes from 10 to 4. To four. Peggy and I went to the website for the Green Built Tour, knowing that you were going to be on the show, knowing that your rain gardens were part of one of the... <laughs> Homes, and that is the home in Evanston. And what's the address of that? It's 1426 Malford Street. And it's the only lead home. It's the only lead
4: platinum. platinum. And the landscape brought the... In Evanston. The, yes. And, okay, uh, no, well, two dings. No, residential, that. residential. Residential. Only and lead platinum
5: residential and in Evanston. On
4: the same street at the corner of Dodge and Malford is a lead platinum synagogue. Wow. And they actually have a great, they have a very interesting uh, landscape around their hmm. property.
5: Too. All right. And so we went to the, 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 the site to look for the gardens. Wah, wah. I don't have that. Wah, wah. wah, uh, wah. We didn't. And, uh, well, no. Well, we, Randall's looking for it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> here's what we do. We went to the site looking for gardens, and this is what we found.
2: Ellen! 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 <laughs> Ellen! Ow! Ellen!
5: No sign of the gardens. And uh, pictures of houses.: There were pictures of houses, but as you all know, folks, when you're doing green design in building, the footprint includes the yard. Yes. And uh, that's why you're there today, right, Julia? You betcha.:
4: <laughs> And the sustainable sites aspect of lead has just started to really integrate into the system. Yeah. And, the problem and what is was, lead? Lead is uh, the leadership in uh, environmental and ecological energy but design. But what, what's it for? It's, it's to make sure that people uh, start thinking sustainably when they build, that they get FSC-certified uh, wood so they know that the trail of where the wood comes mm-hmm. from is responsibly harvested, well-grown, and um, uh, distributed. Uh, also, trying to to uh, do your projects more locally, so you buy product as much as you can within a 500 yeah. mile radius. Uh, other uh, criteria, which I'm not so good right. at, but there are. It's, it's a whole certification at.
2: system yes. to ensure that the home is yes. more sustainably built operated from its heating and cooling systems. Lead, et
5: leadership yes. in energy and environmental design. Thank you very much. That was my Bill Curtis. <laughs> environmental. Uh yes, that's that's what LEED is. And the point I'm making is though if you're going to be green. you got to go all the way. Amen. You don't put up a, a greenhouse with, with safe materials and energy efficiency inside and then uh, pave it over with asphalt on the outside.
4: Or put green grass all around or it. Or put turf because all it over it. Because it looks so modern. Spare.
5: That's what yeah. the people, they love the spare yeah. look. I uh, was
4: at a design recently
5: where they actually had put in Bradford pears. No! Ew.
4: But I won't, I won't mention where.
5: I was looking at it. Okay, folks, Bradford pear is uh, is is a, is is it's an ornamental tree that gets used a lot, uh, way too often, by the way, and it's invasive. That's one of the things we're discovering about Bradford pears. They do not last long. They split easily because their trunks, uh, the branches grow up instead of out, so they're not sturdy. Um, I saw Bradford pear at uh, Kathleen's brother's home that the, a neighbor planted. And I know she's not listening, so I can say this. And she planted it on the parkway as a favor. And I'm using air quotes as a favor here. And this Bradford pear is twisting around itself. It's so misshapen. I said, you need one cut to fix this bzz, right at the base, okay? <laughs> just go bzz, and cut that sucker down because Bradford pears are a scourge, all right? And I know a lot of arborists who just shake their heads and 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 wonder why. Well, you know why people plant them Because they like the white blooms in the spring. And that's pretty much and the, it. Uh,
4: no, the upright ornamental structure. Uh, well, the structure. problem is
5: the upright structure is what makes it uh, not a good tree. Yes. It's, it's It makes it uh, uh, not a sturdy tree.
4: Can we get back to rain gardens?
5: Yes, we may. Let's go. (laughs) Sorry, I had to rant there for a second. Yes, back to rain gardens. So rain, you've put this in, the idea being don't put turf, don't put asphalt, don't put other crud in your backyard, put a rain garden. So getting back to the question we started before the break, what the heck is a rain garden?
4: Okay, a rain garden is uh, a place where uh, you can take – the water that is running off your downspout or off of a larger surface, it can be also a, um, a, a, a driveway uh, with a channel drain at the end of it. Uh, and you send that water into this area and you understand by going to, I, I love to use the website, uh, a garden, Rain Garden Alliance. It's uh, out of Oregon. They know about water out there. Uh, and they have a calculator. So you can actually calculate how many gallons mm-hmm. of water that you have to manage. And you can also see the size of the garden yeah. that you want to make. If and you how do many it. downspouts you have, I think, was on there right too. Right there. And you got uh, you can say if you have to have a deeper one or a shallower mm-hmm. one, you can see if you need to, uh, if it's a clay soil, a loamy soil, or a sandy soil. Mm. Uh, in our region, we're usually between the sand and the clay there's not very much loam in between.
5: Uh, yeah, if you got loam, con- pat yourself on the back. Consider yourself blessed. All right. We're on the east coast. Uh, okay. uh, <laughs> however, uh, here's here's another question you get all the time. I'm sure. Well, what happens if it dries out?
4: Oh, that's the beauty of a rain garden. <laughs> the plants are adapted to these conditions. It's called mesic conditions in the, in the natural world. And that means that it takes flooding time, periods and it takes times of drought or, or, or mm-hmm. when it's a little uh, drier. And the plants you do have to establish. Uh, people can make the error sometimes with uh, plants thinking that if they're drought tolerant, that means I put them in and I didn't water them, but why are they? Why did they die? So we have to really establish any garden that we put in, just like mm-hmm. anything. And um, the more natives that you use in the garden, uh, the more resilient they are. And uh, also, uh, but the point is, you have a garden and you right. have to manage it. And um, I love using the word edit the garden. Uh, I picked that up from Rick Dark uh, from Longwood Dark Gardens, uh, who's mm-hmm. done some work with Doug Tallamy. Uh, it's, just, it's just a brilliant concept. The, the, the plants can seed themselves out a little bit, fill in the holes uh, when you have a larger planting. And um, if you want to be able to monitor that, you can choose to take the seed heads off the year before. So you have less plants seeding out.
5: So you have uh, a rain garden. Is it always a slight depression?
4: Uh yeah. It has to be able to uh, pond. Okay. So that means you want to hold the water in a place and let it infiltrate.
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: the thing is, uh, on the design thing, getting back to the the, the green, uh, the uh, rain garden Ranger alliance. alliance. Uh, that um, when we talk about this. We want to make sure that the area is large enough to take in a two-inch rain event. That's my favorite design level. Uh, You can design for one inch. It used to be. But Mm -hmm. since we've been having these big rain Mm -hmm. events. Why would
5: you even do that Exactly.
4: You wouldn't even bother. That's just silly. Yeah. Just do a two-incher and um, design for that mass of water. And then you have to always make sure there's an overflow because water loves to move. And you can allow it to stay in pond and infiltrate in one area. You do want to make sure the infiltration happens within two days, maybe three, uh, because that's the the period of time in which uh, mosquitoes uh, can germinate and send their little babies yeah. out into the world. So, um, what we want
5: procreate actually? <laughs> Thank
4: you. I'm I, such an horticulturalist. I, <laughs> I, I, I love suits. the idea
5: of mosquitoes germinating. <laughs> <laughs> just just plant the little mosquito in the ground and watch it grow. Oh, it's a chia mosquito. <laughs>
2: There you go. There's Thank humor. you, Mike Novak. <laughs> oh no. Oh there's humor everywhere ah. in this
4: world. We have fun in the garden, that's for sure. There's it's not a boring time.
5: Uh yeah. So all right, so you've got a, a depression. You you wanted to hold a couple of uh, an event, a rain event of two inches. Or more, we get those two. We get three and four inch rain events here. But the idea is to get the water to flow into this area where it percolates into the ground. Doesn't sit there forever, as you say, it needs to drain. Mm-hmm. But as it's doing that, it take it's 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 purifying the water to some degree. Yes. I mean you can't completely purify it if you got all these toxins and oils yes. and whatever right. is in it, but it can help Take water that comes off a roof, comes out of uh, you know, sometimes even off the street, yeah. into the rain garden, and as it as it percolates through the ground, it purifies it to some degree. Yes, so you're doing the earth a favor, at, yeah. and you're doing our water systems in our cities yes. and towns yeah. a favor a as big well. Favor.
4: And mm-hmm. also, the the plants do a big job. They they. Create a root system that helps that percolation process, mm-hmm. so oftentimes too you 'll see on the website how many plants you want to put into that garden, yeah because uh, the, those roots are going to are going to open up vascular space so that the water can uh, percolate down in there and move in, and also they sequester carbon, which is another big footprint mm-hmm. thing that people mm-hmm. are talking about a lot these days about being greener and um uh, the plants also trans-evaporate. So the trans-evaporation process, and I always talk about we want to keep the water daylighted. A lot of times people want to bury water uh, if they're not throwing it into the stormwater like system. Like in a cistern or something? Yeah. Well, cistern is is okay because you're harvesting and reutilizing. Okay. Uh, if you use a recharger, which is a, a system that creates a larger void space, which we actually have an example of at the Mulford property if you want to come look at it. Um, uh, we, Which uh, is on
5: the 2018 Greenbelt Home Tour today between 10 and 4 p.m. You yeah, can go to net p- and find out more information.
4: Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's very neat. Uh, there's, there's, there's just ways that we can keep it out of the stormwater system, right. and that's right. another big reason why we're doing it, is we're trying to help the infrastructure yeah. problems that all of our cities are having.
5: Well, one of the things we do, and I don't think people understand it, and I talk about it from time to time, is we almost deliberately create uh, toxic water. We create these toxic stews. And how do we do this? Well, it's all the stuff coming off the roof, and some of that has fecal matter in it, and it goes into the gutter. But we also, on the street, we wash our cars, and we put detergents in there and oils in there. And then what do we do? Oh, Oh, and don't forget the pesticides we put on our lawns, and we take this stew, and then we put it all into our sewer system, and we say to the city, hey, we just messed that up. You clean it up for us. All right, but I don't want to pay taxes on it because oh, that's really too expensive. So and do
4: me not use pesticides? Yeah, uh, and
2: if you're in some of the suburbs, it drains directly into the lake. Yeah,
5: and, yeah, and not every exactly. That's a really good point. Is that not all the sewer systems are alike? They all operate slightly differently, or there's or there's various, maybe not all differently, but various ways that they operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so you you have these rain gardens and they do this now the question i would ask is do the plants have to be natives or can you use other things
4: i i mess around with that one a little bit mike because i find that people people want to understand what's around them and if they've lived with hostas and daylilies all their lives then uh and they have them on their property and they, so
5: you can use hostas and daylilies in a rain garden
4: Shh, don't tell anybody they, they but yes
5: Wow, pastas, pastas
4: tolerate wet feet very well. Very
2: well. I, I have I, learned I, I, this yes. over the years. Yeah,
5: I would think that they do, and that would make sense, especially if no. See, I'm not you got to understand this is a pure free zone, okay? I'm not a native plant purist, regardless of what other people say. Yeah. Uh, my feeling is as long as, as, as it's not taking over the world, then that's fine. You, I mean, a peony. A peony is not going to spread and overrun your right. garage, right. okay? It's not native, and it's beautiful. So why, right. why can't you grow a peony? Right. I don't have a problem with and that. And
4: there's some carexes or sedges, yeah. which are uh, ornamental. Yeah, you
5: were
2: pointing those out. You've got a great video on your website yeah. that talks about So give me a,
5: a plant palette, uh, some of the plant palette that you're using in Evanston.
4: Well, uh, oh, wow. Uh, uh, let me see. Well, one thing you can do is you can go to thespiritedgardener.com, and I have like six basic... Uh, setups for seven, six to seven plants that can go into different rain gardens. And they're a mix. There's uh, some natives, there's some non natives. Uh, Natural Communities is the company I really love, uh, referring my. Uh, people internet people too mm-hmm.
5: natural communities uh, they, uh that, they rock uh, uh nick fuller is yeah. a proud sponsor here of the mike novak show and we love him yes i've got stuff growing in my yard from nick it's right. just rocking yeah. this and year
4: And from him you can buy plugs and manageable uh, uh priced and sized right plants and he'll ship it to you to be able to get mm-hmm. that larger uh massive plants put in and get get that garden working for you and the planet and the and the neighborhood. Yeah, I wanted to point out one type of garden I
2: did see on your website as well, which was the crescent garden to deal with sidewalks. Yes, and and driveway puddling.
4: Yes, that's how does idea.
2: that work? We only have a minute or two it's, here.
4: It's gravity. It's it's really simple. Uh, a lot of times people build up around their parkway areas, and then they go, "Oh my, where did that water come from?" And so all you have to do <laughs> is uh, take the build up away, uh, do a little bit of a pitch, uh, make sure that you're going like right off the sidewalk and slow that pitch down to like four to six inches and then spread it out. Uh, and and look at measure the mass of the puddle that you're trying to deal with mm-hmm. and make that little crescent the same size and put some nice plants in it and you're done. I mean, you can see which kinds of plants. Right.
5: Or as Ron Cowgill would say, boom, done. All right, that's how that works. Boom, done. Boom, done. All right, the uh, the tour is today. If you want to see a real rain garden in action, well, actually, it's not raining, and, they're, and they are at that point where they dry out. And those plants don't just die. They don't just keel over when it gets dry, right? No. See, that's the point, folks. Don't worry about that. Julia's got it all sussed. She can figure it out for you. Go to her website, thespiritedgardener.com. Correct. Um, You can go to my website, MikeNovac.net, find out about the tour. It's from uh, 10 to 4 today, and it's uh, all over the area. Um, I forget how many houses. There's like a dozen or something like that. Uh, 17, I think, wasn't there? Can
4: I add one more thing? Real quick. Uh, On those natural community plants, too, some of them you can uh, can, uh – Trimmed down like a July Fourth period, so that they don't get as big and leggy and tall as they would want to do in the nature. Well,
5: just that's that your 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 perennial pruning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tracy De Sabato Aus talks about that. Thank you. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Bonsai is next. Stick around.
2: Now's the time to sign up for one of McHenry County's premier sustainability events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its 11th annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 3rd, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. This year's expo will be bigger than ever. The popular Artist Walk returns, featuring sustainable artwork, jewelry, and decorative items. And if your business offers eco-friendly holiday gifts being a vendor is the perfect head start to the season. Last year's event attracted more than 1100 visitors. Mike and I were there and we know the expo is a fun way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu.
5: The folks at the Midwest Pond and Koi Society want you to show up in their backyards. Well, you have to sign up, and there's a small fee, but you can see some of the best gardens, ponds, and koi in Chicagoland on July 21st, 22nd, 28th, and 29th on the annual Garden and Pond Tour. It's self-guided, and you can go on any day or on all of them. Tour maps at mpks.org and at garden centers and businesses throughout the region. That's mpks.org. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner,
3: Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue. Visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80.
6: -hmm. You put your... Self in. You put
0: your self out. You put your self in.
5: And then what do you do? And you shake. I know this dance. You go
6: and do the the hokey pokey, do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around.
5: Is that what it's all about?
6: That's what it's all about. Shut up, Wesley. (laughs) Thanks,
5: Mike Novak. <laughs> I think Randall was getting ready to get and start dancing. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That was an introductory song for our next guest because he puts his whole self in. He puts his whole self out when it comes to bonsai. And the first thing we always say when we bring in Dan Costa from Prairie State Bonsai Society is, It's not bonsai. Bonsai is something you yell when you jump out of an airplane. Bonsai is an art and horticulture and a science. Right, Dan?
7: That's correct, Mike. It definitely is an art and a science.
5: And magic to some degree, too. (laughs) Just like all horticulture. Uh that is and Dan Something
7: magical co- happens.
5: It, it absolutely it turns into a little tiny plant. It's a little tiny plant. And uh uh <laughs> Dan has trained me well over the years. I know all the ins and outs of this. Uh I still don't have my <laughs> own plant that I want No,
7: it's sitting here in the kitchen table
5: actually. Uh, is it? Do you are you looking <laughs> at it right now? Yes, I am. and, and, and hoping that I will I will come in, You got Okay, if folks don't know the story. 2 years ago I went out to the annual meeting for the Prairie State Bonsai Society and... Our show. Mm -hmm. Your show out at the Morton Arboretum. Um, And you guys do this as part of their Asian fest out there. Um, That's right.
7: Destination Asia. Destination
5: Mm -hmm. Asia. And you can find all that information on my website, MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. So I go out there to the show a couple of years ago, and they have a raffle. I oh I said okay, I'll put a couple. Why of, not? Why not put a couple of bucks in? And I win a bonsai tree. And Dan says, because uh, for some reason I could. Well, he wanted. To, he said, I want to. I want to clean it up a little bit. Okay, let me clean it up, and then we'll get it to you. Well, of course, I've never gotten it. Uh, it I I have yet to go out there and collect my bonsai, which Dan is <laughs> faithfully taking care of for me. But I do want it because I want to bring it Mm -hmm. to my house and either kill it myself (laughs) or keep it going.
2: (laughs) It will flourish. Uh,
5: But I know how to do it. Wait a second. Uh, Yeah, I want it to flourish. And uh, I know now. That, you know, you if it's uh, an outdoor tree, you, you take it outside, outside, you leave it outdoors for the winter. That's the thing. Probably one of the big mistakes mm-hmm. that, that people make. They assume that it's bons- oh, yeah. I I have to leave it indoors. But they're, uh, they're hardy plants, aren't they, Dan?
7: Yeah, people will buy the little junipers <laughs> at the home center stores. And, you know, they see it and they think, oh, it's in a pot, so it must be a house plant. They put it in the house. And first thing it does is it starts to dry up and then it slowly dies. And then they say, well, I'm not going to try that again because that was a waste of money. And that's the worst thing that happened.
5: <laughs> I don't know. You
7: know if you... people well, if people were to buy the tropicals and keep those types indoors or take the little juniper and keep it outside, they'd be successful. And then they'd enjoy it, feel they got their money's worth out of it, and maybe, hopefully, buy another one and another one and start getting interested in doing this wonderful pastime
3: that we have.
5: Well, the, that's too difficult, Dan, the, the idea that <laughs> I have to figure out whether this plant wants to live inside or outside. Actually, it's very easy, as you say, because
7: mm-hmm. if
5: you can... Pl- if it's
7: already outside as a landscape plant, then it's an outdoor tree.
5: Yeah. And if you can plant it in your backyard like a juniper, then maybe it needs to be outside. If you cannot yeah. plant it outside like a Schefflera, unless you're in Florida uh, or someplace else uh, that has really warm climbs. We're talking about, you know, zones seven and lower. Uh, then maybe you should just leave it indoors. Uh, and yeah. it, it's actually kind of simple once you figure that out, isn't it, Dan?
7: Oh, yeah, it is. I've, I've told people that, you know, has anybody ever invited you over to their house to to look at the pine tree they're growing in their living room? <laughs> of course not, because there's no way that could do. So if it's something like that that can't live in your living
2: room, it should stay outside. (laughs) Except maybe in December. That's about it.
5: Yeah. Well, yeah, well, bring that (laughs) But that reminds me of a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember this, Dan. I had a juniper growing in my Hmm. backyard. It had seeded. Obviously, a bird pooped it out. I saw this little seedling when it was maybe a couple inches tall. I thought, all right, I'm just going to leave it. Let's see what happens. Well. Eight or nine years later, it was ten feet tall, and I mean, <laughs> it was they was
2: taking over your yard. They
5: really grow fast, you know. Uh, oh yeah. It was a Juniperus uh, virginiana. Uh, virginiana, sure. Yeah, uh, and it grew to ten feet tall. I cut it down in on on December twenty fifth. I mean, who cuts down <laughs> their tree on Christmas Day? I did. Got up in the morning cut down the juniper, put it in my living room, uh, and decorated the Christmas tree. It was one of the best Christmas trees ever. I highly recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) If you got one, now it it is a little prickly. You know, junipers are a little prickly. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, it was just fine. So there's no problem with that. If folks want to figure out what to do with an overgrown juniper in their yard, I highly recommend cutting it down, using it Mm -hmm. as an Xmas tree.
2: Thank
5: you, Mike Novak. Right, yes. Anytime. Oh, We're getting
7: it a little younger, where they can dig it up, get it into a pot, and eventually train it as a bonsai.
5: There you go. I have
7: one in mm-hmm. my collection that's a juniper's virginiana or eastern red cedar, and I have one that's I've had for about thirty-five years. Wow! That I dug up in uh, the yard as a little pencil-thick seedling.
5: Yeah. If I, if I, I see another one, in. if I see another one come up in my yard like the other one, this time. I'm going to turn it into a bonsai. I'm not going to wait eight or nine years for Christmas um, because that's a long time to wait for Christmas.
2: So if you're getting started inside, (laughs) if if you want to start with a bonsai inside, you've never had a bonsai plant before, what are some good ones to start with for indoors?
7: I always like to suggest ficus because ficus are resilient. Mm -hmm. They're actually rather hard to kill. Uh, They will tolerate mistakes if you miss a watering now and then or... Don't fertilize them for a while. They, they will stand it. They're not going to like it. They may lose some leaves, tell you that, that they didn't like it. Same thing if they're not getting enough light. But they're pretty tolerant. Uh, Hawaiian Cheflera is also a real good one because it's a sturdy plant uh, and it tolerates low humidity in the home very well. So that's a nice tree to, to work with as well. Uh, some people do the... Uh, uh, Australian Brush Cherry uh, as an indoor uh, starter plant. Uh, one that I like for starting, too, is uh, Chinese Elm, because Chinese Elm is a very sturdy plant. Mm-hmm. They grow fast, and, and they have tiny leaves, so they always look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing with them is they will lose some leaves in the fall, be semi bare for a couple of months, and then leaf out magically again as of February.
5: Like and a real tree, who
7: thinks that their tree is dying. All of a sudden, looks very, very
5: good. Well, see now that's a problem though, because most people are going to assume, or like me, that you've ki- you know it's Char- <laughs> it's a Charlie Brown moment. Ah, I killed mm-hmm. it, and, uh, yeah. and and you've got to let and now. But the, with the Chinese elm, that's an outdoor tree, right?
7: It can be. Uh, ah, the true Chinese elm is marginally uh, is a little less hardy here. The tree that most people call the Chinese elm in their yard is a Siberian elm.
5: Which yep. It's a totally different species. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That's that's what we call a junk tree, right, uh, Dan?
7: Oh, yeah. That one is garbage. It lives about 25 years. Uh, the real Chinese elm is a very nice tree with beautiful bark,
6: mm-hmm.
7: and it can live for 150 years.
5: You know, horticulture so
7: is... is oh, go ahead. Sorry. They're, they're very different items. Yeah. Uh, they're... You know,
5: often confused. I, I was just going to say that uh, uh, the uh, horticulturists, uh, I, I use the term junk tree. Horticulturists don't use, like that term, but uh, there are people out there who will use, you know, I would consider Bradford pear a junk tree. Uh, the, the Siberian elm is a junk tree. Obviously, the tree of heaven is a mm-hmm. junk tree. There's, there's a, oh, you yeah. know, and <laughs>
2: sometimes they're actually useful. The tree of heaven is the alley tree.
5: It, it is. Uh, it's a tree grows in Brooklyn tree. Um, yeah. Anyway, we have a couple of minutes here. Uh, I we, want to do some... some and we,
2: we had a Facebook question, too.
5: Well, we'll, we'll do that okay. when we come back, uh, because I want to make sure that we get the word out here in the final two minutes, because if I don't, your friends at the Prairie State Bonsai <laughs> Society will yell at you and you say, you didn't <laughs> get any of the information out, Dan. So it is next weekend, right? Sa- Friday, Saturday, Friday, su- uh, is it Saturday and Sunday or Friday, Friday, Saturday? Saturday and Sunday. All right, Friday, Friday
7: s- Saturday and Sunday. Friday from 6 until 9, Saturday and Sunday from 10 Mm until 4. We're uh, right at the uh, uh, visitor center in the Sycamore Room with our tree display.
5: At the Morton uh, Arboretum.
7: And in Morton Arboretum in Lyle. The uh, trees in the display are all owned by the members of the club, so they're part of their private collections. Uh, These are not publicly displayed otherwise. We'll also have demonstrations going on both days, so you can watch and see a bonsai begin. Uh, if you get a little more interested, I hope you do. We have vendors selling things, uh, selling bonsai trees and items. And there's also workshops going on uh, both days of the weekend. I'm personally leading one on Sunday with Douglas Fur, mm-hmm. but there are other uh workshops going to be scheduled throughout
5: the weekend wow i'm looking at it right now going on yeah there is a lot going on Mm -hmm. i'm looking at your name right here in the workshop number five field grown yeah fir tree how cool all right we need to take a break we're going to come back talk more bonsai and some gardening in general that's dan costa it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki
2: Hey, this is peggy when i speak at local events people often ask me aren't you the peggy in natural awakenings ads and that makes me happy because it reminds me that chicagoans want to lead healthier lives a natural awakenings magazine helps them do just that natural awakenings is the greenest healthiest magazine in the chicago area each month we bring you the latest information about health and wellness complementary medicine fitness and exercise raising healthy kids and even keeping your pets healthy You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more.
5: This is your talk. You want to just put in hashtag in any of your social media, hashtag 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And on the phone, we have Dan Costa. And I didn't mention also where you're from. Yes. I did mention the Prairie State Bone Size Society, mm-hmm. which you are a member of, but also you are a horticulturist mm-hmm. at Vern Goer's yeah. greenhouse in Hinsdale, Illinois. And right. uh, mm-hmm. w- um, what's going on at uh, at Vern Goer's this year?
7: Uh, right now it's a slow time because it's middle of summer and people are either on vacation or decide they've planted everything they're going to plant, but. This is the time of year when I get a lot of questions about what's going on with my plants.
5: Of course. (laughs) And
7: uh, if somebody's having a problem and they want to uh, get some information on it, it's best to come to an independent garden center like us. Uh, Really great if you bring a sample of the problem Mm -hmm. in a Ziploc bag because we don't want it at our place.
5: Uh, uh, you know, that's so, a really good... Yeah, we
7: don't want your bugs escaping.
5: Exactly. Don't just throw it in the back of your, your car and then whip it out at the at the uh, the, the garden center and then spread... Leaving a
2: trail behind you. ...of
5: disease and insects uh, all mm-hmm. over the place, yes, oh, in, yeah. a, in a Ziploc bag. And the other thing is, if you've got a, uh, a sample of a plant that's got a problem, bring a healthy part of the plant, too, so that they can see the difference. That also helps, doesn't it, yeah. Dan?
7: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it does. Because that way you got some contrast and it's easier to tell what's going on. But uh, you know, if you take a picture of it on your phone, that's fine. But get really close so I can actually see it. (laughs) Sometimes I get this picture like this whole plant is in the picture and I have no idea what it is because it's so tiny on the on the phone screen. Yeah. Or it'll be something in the corner of a whole mass of stuff, and you know what's wrong with that one? Where is it? I don't see it. Yeah. So, uh, photos are close-ups are good, but the best thing is to bring in a piece. Uh, the weather is having a lot of effects on stuff this year. The combination of the uh, late fall that we had last year, the long fall uh, winters, and uh, some things going on this spring is really. Cause some trouble with with people's gardens
5: yeah you you and, you uh, mentioned in an email to me, Dan, that roses took a big hit over the winter, and then I started thinking yeah. back to the winter, as you said uh it was warm uh going into the winter, which kept the roses from dormancy, and that's not a good thing because they need mm-hmm. to shut they need to shut down and the uh, yeah. then then the other thing that happened i don't know if you remember is that we had a pretty dry winter i mean the the spring yeah. has been wet uh but the winter was dry so if you had a plant that's a little stressed out it it couldn't go to sleep because the the weather kept waking it up and then it dries out because it's still expending energy i can see why some of those mm-hmm. would have taken a hit
7: oh yeah roses that people had in their yards for 10 years died down to six inches tall and some died out all the way down and uh, of course, everybody comes in, in the spring one. No, know what, what happened to that rose? Right,
6: right.
7: And try to tell them a lot of times when it's environmental, you try to tell them that, and they don't want to believe that. And, you know, just there must be some disease. There's got to be something that can spray on it. And, you know, because spraying stuff on it is the magical cure for everything. <laughs>
5: uh, 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 oh, dear. Even yeah. though
7: most of the time it's it's not a that
5: great of an idea but, <laughs> well uh, baby you know no. you're 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 the two things that people want to do okay that they always think will will solve their plant problems first as you say what do i spray and they figure there's something in a bottle somewhere that if they just sprayed on the plant plants gonna go boop and bounce back to life mm-hmm. the other thing yeah. that they want to do is they want to fertilize? They want to put blue stuff. They say, "Can I put blue stuff on the ground there, and will that fix the plant?" Because they always think that mm-hmm. if a plant is sick, what you do is feed it, and yeah, uh, which is
7: actually the opposite.
5: Yeah, you it just makes it worse. <laughs> well, it's it's as if okay, you've got the terrible sickness, and you go home, mm-hmm. and somebody's giving you a five course meal, and saying, "No, no, 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 you got to chow down, eat all the, eat it." Um. Uh. Yeah. You, what you want that's is a little bit of soup. You want to sip on soup for a while, and sometimes a plant. That's
7: what I tell people, because that's exactly it. If I fertilize it, will it help? It's like no. When you're sick, you don't want a five course meal. Mm-hmm. When the plant is not feeling good, it it ain't gonna kind of take it either. I had a lady bring in a rosemary plant a couple of weeks ago, obviously dead. She wanted to know if it was really dead pulled it out of the pot and showed her the roots were dead and rotted. And she wanted to know, well, how about if I cut it back? Will that help? I was like, no. Uh, how about if I, I clean off all this wet soil and replant it into a new pot with fresh soil? I was like, no, that ain't going to bring it back to life either. And then she wanted to fertilize it. And I was like, no, dead is dead. You know, there's a point where you stop.
6: <laughs> yeah. But
7: the, the little guy. The little guy in my head was saying, which I couldn't tell the customer, but was saying, you yeah, know, okay, well, if that would work, then go di- go to the cemetery, dig up Uncle Charlie, stick a cheeseburger in his mouth, and see if he comes back <laughs> oh, to life. You know, oh, it's the dear. Same
5: thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> ow. Ow. All right. Did we have uh, a... <laughs> like all, the dead parrot sketch. Uh, exactly. All I have to say to that, Dan, is... Shut up, Wesley. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, did we have a question there?
2: We did have a question on Facebook uh, going back to the outdoor trees and sure. Chinese elm. Mm-hmm. So somebody asked, is there a way to do bonsai with an oak seedling?
7: Uh, yes, but uh, it has to be a smaller leafed one like a uh, English oak. Burr oaks and red oaks tend to have those leaves and it just never gets small, mm-hmm. no matter what you do with them. Uh, Uh, And with any seedling, you have to develop a trunk first, so you have to let the thing grow wild, and preferably in a a large nursery pot, but you can do it in the ground as well. Get your trunk up to at least broom handle uh, thickness, larger if you can wait longer, and then you start working on the tree. So it's not a dig up a seedling, put it into a pot, and in a year it's going to look like something in a magazine.
5: Well, it sounds to me like that is for a more experienced bonsai artist. That might be something you try after you've gotten a, a simpler tree going. What do you yeah. think?
7: That's also for, for a younger person who has 10 years to, to wait <laughs> for it to develop. I'm
5: too <laughs> old to do that. <laughs> or maybe Uncle Charlie, who you, then you just have to dig him up and stick a cheeseburger in his mouth. and that. You know, yes. don't, don't, <laughs> so, that's just sad, Dan. Don't start bonsai too late in life because you'll never see them. That's oh just sad. Okay. <laughs> uh, you
7: can start bonsai late in life. You just have to have a big enough tree.
5: <laughs> oh, man. All right, before we let you go, we've just got about a minute here. Uh, I mm-hmm. We're going to bring in our tomato guy in a second. Casey Tomato is going to be on the show. Uh, and what I want to ask you is what you're seeing with tomatoes. I mentioned to you that my tomatoes seem slow. A little bit, I, except mm-hmm. for my garden gems, which are ripening Dr. Harry Clee at the University of Florida. Uh, but other than that, they seem slow and small. Is that what you're seeing out there, Dan?
7: Yeah, quite a bit, because the weather's been so cool. Uh, they're a tropical plant. They originated in the Galapagos Islands, and uh, so they need heat. Pepper's the same way. They're from Central America. They need heat. Mm-hmm. And these things, that you know, we're enjoying the high of seventy. During the day, but the plant, the tomatoes and peppers, they want 90 degrees during the day. And so they're having troubles. And there's some foliage diseases, as usual.
5: Yeah, I'm going to have to let you go. Go to my website for information about the Bonsai Show at the Morton Arboretum. Dan Costa, thanks so much. Always a pleasure.
1: Captain's log, stardate
3: 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by
9: stalks of asparagus.
5: That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf.
3: Mr. Data, be more specific.
5: Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak.
3: Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his
2: work.
5: Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and
3: Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com.
2: What do they have to say?
3: Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps,
0: and confusions, and playing them for big laughs.
3: That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate.
0: Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at
3: 847- A new secure line has been opened for communication, 877-711-5611. Now please make enjoy for Second Hour
5: Capitalist Radio.
0: Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
5: All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy week and what about those potatoes all all welcome back to the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. I'm looking here on the Facebook live thing that we've got and when the second hour starts you can see all the mm-hmm. thumbs up. Floating up like bubbles, <laughs> like champagne bubbles. Um, so uh, each one? Is, there you go. is that champagne bubbles? That's uh, your approximation of uh, champagne bubbles? Uh, a couple of things before we get to our buddy KC Tomato and get your tomato questions ready. 877-711-5611. As our Russian friend says, da, bonny. Uh, and, um, before that, a couple of things, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about, first of all, no Rick DeMaio today. He's, I think he's in the Poconos today. I, he said he was going he's to vacationing, uh, he's somewhere who, well, it's, yeah. it's not as if I say the Poconos people are going to like stalk him in the Poconos. Well,
2: no, I, he said Pennsylvania, so I.
5: Isn't, I, that, isn't that probably? Po- I guess Poconos. So it
2: could be Poconos, or it could just be Pennsylvania. It, I don't know. Maybe
5: that is. Maybe yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's not the Poconos. Maybe it is just Pennsylvania. Um, but uh, in that uh, time frame, however, we're going to talk about a garden walk uh, next week on Sunday, the fifth of August. Uh, Birds, bees, and butterflies: a native garden tour hosted by Wild Ones West Cook, uh, and that's a native plant garden walk with 17 gardens. Maybe that's the 17. That's where I got the number 17. It wasn't uh, the the Mm -hmm. home-built, the green-built. It was uh, this. Uh, And we'll talk about that later, but I want to mention right now there's another one on the 4th next Saturday. uh, Gina from Keeler Gardens wrote to us and said uh, the grand opening of their new educational pollinator habitat is happening next uh, Saturday afternoon, August fourth, from three to seven p.m. Um, and there's going to be pollinators. I mean, I mean, they're they're inviting all these pollinators mm-hmm. to come. I uh, don't know if they'll show up, but they're inviting them. And really like
2: butterfly dance. Out and there.
5: the and the plants that support them. Uh, information on the habitat, upcoming programs and tours. Uh, and this is uh, the uh, Keeler. Gardens. Now let's go to the Facebook uh, page so I can find out exactly where it is. I didn't realize there we are, Keeler Gardens uh, and the Pollinator Celebration next week. I want to give the exact address. Uh, please, please have the exact address there. No, they don't. Okay, this is what happens when you do things on the fly sometimes. And uh, I just so I guess you're just going to have to go to their event page which is Pollinator Celebration, and look for Keeler Gardens. It doesn't say where exactly where Keeler Gardens are. I'll post the link. Yeah. Oh, wait, here it is. Yay. Okay. Wow. 3631 North Keeler Avenue. Well, I figured it had to be on Keeler. 3631 North Keeler Avenue in Chicago. So, again, 3 to 7 p.m., and they're having their pollinator event and um, education and history and all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, stop by there. Uh, I also want to do a little quick follow-up here because I got a uh, an email from uh, the guy we interviewed last week, Corey Chapman, from the Experimental Station. Mm-hmm. Remember, we were talking about food, uh, the SNAP program, which is the former food stamp program, and we were talking about how the, a bureaucratic snafu was going to make it unavailable for perhaps hundreds of thousands of people. Well, the state of New York uh, r- replied to this. And the headline is Governor Cuomo announces plan to protect SNAP recipients' access to farmers' markets. Um, and it says Governor Andrew M. Cuomo today announced that New York State and the Farmers' Market Federation of New York have reached an agreement with the mobile application vendor Novo Dia Group to enable Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, recipients mm-hmm. to continue to use their benefits at farmers' markets across the state through the rest of the farmers' market season. Earlier this month, Governor Cuomo issued a letter to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue urging federal action on this issue. We had talked about the lack of action. And, right. You know, I wasn't sure where that was coming from, but Cuomo's not mincing any words here. He says, New York will not stand idly by as the federal government's ineptitude takes food out of the mouths of New Yorkers. This is just another example of the Trump administration's continued assault on the nation's most needy. While the federal government doles out a contract to an untested company using outdated technology, we will continue to protect not only our most vulnerable residents, but our hard-working farmers. So good for the state of New York to do that. And I'm glad that somebody's actually calling a spade a spade here. It is incompetence. It's either... Malevolence or incompetence in either way, on the part of the government, by the way, on part of the federal government, to allow this to happen, either way, it's bad news. And so I'm glad to see Governor Cuomo stepping up, getting the SNAP people covered so mm-hmm. they can buy for the rest of the season, but and for calling out the government and saying, what's the matter with you guys? What the heck is the matter with you? So uh, uh thank you for... Uh, to uh, Corey Chapman for sending that to us. From Experimental Station. Uh, Yeah, for uh, bringing us up to date on that. Okay, coming up, like I said, tomato questions. Get your tomato questions ready at 877-711-5611 or write to us on Facebook or tweet us on Twitter. The The one, the only, the man, the legend, Casey Tomato joins us on the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki and I hope you stick around for that conversation.
2: From Wisconsin to Indiana, from Lake Michigan to St. Charles, see some of the best gardens, ponds, and koi in the area on the Midwest Pond and Koi Society Annual Garden and Pond Tour, July 21st and 22nd and 28th and 29th. Get your maps for the self-guided tour at mpks.org and at local businesses throughout Chicagoland. It's only $15, and tour hours are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on each day. Get inspiration for your own garden and pond. Go to mpks.org.
5: This is Treekeeper number 417. Hydrated, loppers sharpened, and reporting that Openlands has Treekeeper summer and fall courses in 2018. Treekeepers are trained volunteers who advocate and care for nature's most majestic plants, trees, around the Chicago area. Trust me, you'll be glad you took the course. The summer course is Tuesdays and Thursdays in Arlington Heights. The fall course is Sundays and Thursdays at Wells Park in Chicago. To learn more, visit openlands.org slash treekeepers. One of McHenry County's premier sustainability events is coming up, and now's the time to sign up. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its 11th annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place in November, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. This year's expo will be bigger than ever. The popular Artist Walk returns, featuring sustainable artwork, jewelry, and decorative items and if your business offers eco-friendly holiday gifts being a vendor is the perfect head start to the season last year's event attracted more than 1100 visitors peggy and i were there and i bowled pumpkins for compost it's a fun way to interact with the green community register today for the mchenry county college green living expo call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue.
3: Visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80.
5: Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO.
3: killer tomatoes they'll beat you bash you, squish you mash you chew you up for brunch, and finish you off for
5: dinner or lunch bum, bum, all right let's go to the phone line bring in a friend of the show Casey tomato Casey good morning how are you
2: good morning Mike and Peggy thanks for having me on good morning
5: it's a pleasure now you have to understand the relationship we have with Casey tomato. Uh, and the Mike Novak show for the longest time, Casey, I wasn't sure if you were a troll or a <laughs> supporter, <laughs> and and it's and it's till it's until I got used to your peculiar sense of humor that uh, I figured out you you actually were engaging us in real conversation here. So uh, you you are an acquired taste, uh, like uh, tomatoes, I guess, uh, in in some way.
3: Well, you you have a sense of humor, and that's. Part of why I really like the
2: show. <laughs> and should we okay, reveal you know, his actual joking. name?
5: Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, and you have a real name. We found that out, but only recently. Yeah. Uh, although it's it's yeah. kind of out there. You haven't really hidden it that well. Um, we we no. just we've discovered that you, you actually do have a reputation in the tomato community across the nation. Yeah, John
3: Walsh can find me if he wants.
5: <laughs> ah. <laughs>
3: It's not like
5: that. It it will be easy and it's Keith and now how do you how do you pronounce your last name?
3: Um I say it Mueller. Not Muller. Mueller.
5: Yeah, Mueller, not yeah, Mueller.
3: It's 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 German. It's it's actually Mueller, but um uh the only thing I got was from my German grandfather not to call it Miller. Okay. Mm-hmm.
5: Okay. No Miller. Uh, Miller. It, it
3: just doesn't it doesn't really matter to me. All
5: right. Well, I got a feeling we're gonna end up calling you K C. Because uh, I like that. That's and, fine. And part of the reason is because you live in the Kansas City area. Where Where are you?
3: Um, I'm in the south part of Kansas City. Um, it's an area called Waldo and Brookside. Okay. And uh, I tend to garden and have plots <laughs> out around the area
2: within the region. And thousands of tomato plants.
5: Thousands of tomato plants. Why do you grow thousands of tomato plants, Casey?
3: Well, because I'm breeding tomatoes, and I've got a background in that. And um, because I'm on my own, I have focused in on flavor for a long time. I'm, I'm not constrained by having to grow the rocks, but I have a background in produce. Mm-hmm. I've worked in the produce market here in Kansas City, and um, so I'm familiar with what chefs want, what the industry needs, how that all works. And then I went back to school, and I got into to breeding through different ways, and I ended up in North Carolina working for a guy named Randy Gardner, who's, uh, he's retired now, but he's one of the top tomato breeders in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, while I was there, I also met uh, Craig LaHouier, who is NC Tomato Man, and when I was working with Randy, I wanted to work with flavor, but it was difficult because of the costs, the research costs of having panels and things. Um so I worked with uh, diseases, but... Um, but wait, Kenny, can, can, can I stop craze. you there?
5: Because uh, can, let yeah. me stop you there. Uh, as you wrote to me, it seems to me that part of the problem when you were doing this, which was back in the 90s, uh, is mm-hmm. you say you had to work on diseases because at the time, it seems to me, if I'm characterizing this correctly, working on flavor seemed frivolous. That people were more interested in how to get rid of the various tomato diseases than they were that the tomatoes actually taste like food.
3: Well, I actually stood up at the Tomato Breeders Roundtable in 1994. And, you know, having that background, these guys were like, well, we don't know why people don't like our tomatoes. And I'm like, well, because you're in the field and you're picking the best one, but you're not taking the one that's picked partly green, shipped, gassed, and then tasting it, you know, you're not getting that experience. And, uh, you know, why aren't you working on flavor? And I felt really foolish at that meeting, but it's kind of interesting because that's what some of them are doing now. And, um, you know, I talked with several other breeders, um, some top people from UC Davis, and they're like, you know, we've hired taste panels, and um, we've put videos on people in grocery stores and asked them what they want, and then we go video what they actually pick, and they actually pick what they said they didn't want. And I'm well aware of that, but, you know, so they didn't they didn't want to spend the money on doing that. They wanted to uh, hit the market because there, there is a reason for those rock-hard tomatoes um, the industry does need them. They don't, you know, an heirloom tomato won't do well in a slicer and work on a sandwich in a sub shop. Or uh-huh. They won't hold up very long. So, you know, there's a reason that's there. And they focused on that because that's where the money was. But uh, I made it my effort when I met Craig and he introduced me to lots of wonderful tomatoes um, that I'm like, well, how come I'm not taking these disease-resistant varieties that are great workhorses and crossing them into stuff with really great flavor Mm -hmm. and trying to get you know the marriage of the two and so that's what i started focusing on doing that's kind of what harry clee's doing too
5: right at the university of florida i mean you talked about craig lahulier uh who's been on this Mm -hmm. show and he's the author of epic tomatoes uh Peggy brought in a copy of Epic Tomatoes, and we interviewed him about it last year. Um, and Dr. Harry Clee is at the University of Florida, uh, and I'm growing a couple of varieties of his in my garden, one of which is called the Garden Gem, and that is the only tomato I have right now that is ripe. I have All- the
2: Garden Treasure, which is the only one that's ripe.
5: You have Garden Treasure, yeah. which that's not the new hybrid. Is that different? It's one of
2: Harry's. So that's well. one of Harry's? Yeah.
5: All right. So he's been working on the problem that you just addressed, which is how to breed the best uh, disease resistant varieties with varieties that produce flavor. And the garden gem, the problem with the garden gem, uh, as he's noted, is that it's a little small. And people tend—well, the growers don't want to uh, grow smaller because they ha, they've, they've figured out how they're going to make their money, uh, and their profit margin doesn't include a, a slightly smaller tomato. So that will ultimately probably never be the tomato that saves America, okay, or the world. Um, but there might be others. He had one called New Hybrid that I really love, mm-hmm. and it's really prolific. Uh, that one is not— producing a lot of fruit at the moment in fact up here uh, in the Chicago area we were just talking to Dan Costa uh, a horticulturist uh, nearby and he and he's here and he works at a, a local garden center and he was saying that uh, people are complaining that their tomatoes are not ripening because it's been very cool up here now you're in the Kansas City area what's the weather been like down there and what are you seeing
3: really hot <laughs> <It's> <laughs> okay. way beyond normal and way sooner than it normally was we just got rain today so i'm really happy because um, uh, we haven't had much rain we're in a severe drought um the high temperatures kicked in and really in may and that's really important here because if you can get things in early and not get a frost because we're prone to wide swings being in the middle of this United States mm-hmm. you get that Canada air coming in and it we get you know we can get frosts in about May 15th or so and we've had later but if you get them in and you beat that heat you got set and so when it does get hot at least you've got some fruit set and they would be maturing right now which the bulk of people's tomatoes here are maturing right now. The heat's a good thing the heat and the dry for flavor because it intensifies the flavor. So it's it would be a good thing, but I'm, I'm late this year. I had personal snafus and um, got them in late, and uh, so I'm running behind. I'm just now getting little trickles of little tomatoes because they usually come in before others, too.
5: Sure. Now, let's talk about heat for a second because um, you mentioned okay. that heat's good for tomatoes, but if it gets too hot, you can't get uh, the fruit set. Isn't that right?
3: Correct, and... It's, it's, it's never really been fully sorted out. One of my friends worked on this when he was in grad school at NC State. But um, it, the simple thing for most people to say is when it gets above 92, most pollen degrades, and it won't set. It won't fertilize the, uh, the fruit, and you won't get fruit, and the flowers will drop off. Um, there's actually a little bit more to it. It's more not the daytime temperature but the what they call the diurnal temperature, the average of the night high and the mm-hmm. night and the daytime high. Mm-hmm. Um it's when so much heat's built up it'll drop the fire. So even hot nighttime temperatures can have an effect. But it's it's pretty much standard to say if it gets above ninety two you're gonna start having problems with most tomatoes. So
6: that's
5: a good. Uh, that's a good rule of thumb uh, for, for for folks. But,
3: but the heat is really key for developing flavor. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the environmental components that I can't control, but you know I can take advantage of. Heat and light are the very most important things from the environment that you can do to increase the flavor. But you know there's only so much one can do. Do that now. There are tricks you can do in Chicago. You can put. Uh, black tar paper around the bottom of the plant and um, that'll gather in some heat and warm it up you know but it's you really want to fool with that that kind of thing
5: <laughs> well and, and we just had another question popped up on facebook could you cover a tomato plant with clear plastic to make it warmer i, I imagine that would cause other problems
3: <laughs> yeah it would <they'd> cook it <laughs> um, okay yeah, you probably don't want to do that in summer
5: all right, but but it's the black plastic, I mean, I yeah, way up north, yeah. But black plastic, and that's why I say, and people use red plastic as a mulch as well. What is what does the red plastic do?
3: Well, the red plastic is supposed to reflect red light back up into the under canopy of the plant, and um, the research on it is really kind of foggy. It works better at certain latitudes than it does others, and mm. so it can. can it can increase a certain nutritional component of the plants. And in some latitudes, it can increase yield by about 5 or 10%. Um, but it's, it, it just depends on where you have it. I personally don't like it. Um, I really don't like growing on plastic, period. But uh, some of the farmers that let me grow out and put it on plastic, uh, I was on red plastic last year, and the weeds grew up underneath it. Hmm so it, it wasn't, you know, really it's to block weeds, but, eh. I, to <laughs> me it's, eh, 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 meh. Well, I think, me? I think the way that you culture things on plastic, you tend to water more. Okay. And that changes the flavor of the tomatoes, too. And it also forces the roots up to be close to the water all the time. So you've got to run the water more. The plants are more, uh, less uh stress tolerant okay mm-hmm. um unless you're running water all the time but water's getting real expensive here is it it's getting crazy
5: expensive That's Yeah, interesting
3: it's, it's, there's a bunch of different reasons but
5: where do you it's, get your water where, where do you get your water from
3: here i get it from city water
5: it um, okay and where where's the city getting it from
3: uh from the river
5: okay uh that's what i was and, guessing and, and it's
3: downstream of the, it's downstream of the uh, landfill <laughs> he would love it <laughs> and some engineering genius did that
5: <laughs> but uh, ah, nice okay yeah, it, it's gotten real expensive yeah but the, it's got, got lots of didn't do things. it's got lots of nutrients in it right
3: oh yeah i guess so <laughs> <laughs>
5: all right uh by the way we're talking to casey tomato uh if you got a Tomato question. Give us a shout out. To, uh, your... we, we
2: have another one that came in on Facebook.
5: All right, hang on one second. I just want to let folks know that they can find him at Casey Tomato on Twitter and at Casey Tomato on Facebook as well. So what? Uh, and oh, and by the way, we've got your website up. Uh, you oh okay. I, I I put a link to it on my blog. Uh, go to Mike Novak dot m i k e n o w a k dot net, and we put that link uh, to your blog, which has been up. Since the 90s, right? Is that the same one? 90,
3: about 94, yeah.
5: You were the I, very I it second.
3: Because, um, it wasn't out there. And um, people were on news groups, the old news groups, and um, there were a lot of myths going around. And when I was in grad school, I just was like, oh, that isn't right. And I found myself writing and posting these things. And I just said, well, why do I keep, you know, writing the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again? Yeah. So I just started writing. Um, text pages, and then I turned it into a website.
2: And you have so much and information kind of up there on breeding tomatoes, it's right? There's amazing. a
5: a ton of information out there. So I would bookmark that if I were you. If you're if you're interested in tomatoes, find the link uh, because it's not the easiest thing to say on the air because it's got a tilde in it. You've got a tilde in your website. Yeah. Are yeah, you are well, you kidding me, Keith? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody puts tildes well, in there you know, anymore. I, I
3: told you the story behind it, and eventually it will be moved to a, a another domain. But uh, <laughs> okay. once I get seeds up going, then I will yeah. do that. But it's yeah, it's just one of those things.
5: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why I've got the link on my uh, my blog, so you can find it there. Now, Peggy, you had a question.
3: Keith's tomato page goes right to it on Google.
5: Okay. Oh, does it? Okay. Thank should, you. Yeah,
3: it should come up. and Keith's tomato page should go right to it.
5: You know what I should do? I'm gonna I'm gonna change that, and I'm just gonna put Keith's tomato page, and then put the link on it. I think on my, Ellie's on my tweeting blog. that out right yeah, now. Yeah,
3: that'll, that'll work. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. All right, we're gonna have. I a, called it the online tomato
2: vine, or something
5: like that. All right, we've got about sixty seconds before we break. We'll be back. Let's ask the question. You get, you'll have two minutes to think it over, and you better have a really okay. good response, <laughs> dude.
2: So Fred's okay. asking. <laughs> Fred said it's been really hot outside where he lives. How do I best revive my heat-blasted tomato plants? Figure that side dressing with compost, trimming dead branches, and weakly deepish watering aren't working. And also, I've got a huge infestation of sedge that i have to get out from there as well.
5: <laughs> oh my goodness. Of
2: uh, what? S- nut sedge.
5: S- nut sedge. Okay, that's different oh. from sedge. Nut sedge is very yeah. different I missed from, the word
2: as i was reading. Yes,
5: nut sedge. Yes, which is a scourge okay, also.
2: Listening for your input he says. All no right.
5: So, <laughs> so now you've got 2 minutes to figure this out and and, and if you don't get it right, Casey We're cutting you off so fast. (laughs) All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking tomatoes with Casey Tomato. We'll be right back.
1: Did you know it takes almost 2,000 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. It takes only 39 gallons of water to produce one pound of vegetables. Meat production releases more greenhouse gases than veggies. Emissions from livestock currently make up almost 15% of the global greenhouse gases. Of that, beef and dairy alone make up 65%. One cow's annual output of methane, you know, cow fluffs, burps, call them what you want, is equivalent to the emissions generated by one car burning 235 gallons of gas. Talk about stinky climate change. More vegetables equals a happier planet. Just saying. I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low-stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com.
5: whether it's march july september or december if you're a gardener any time of year is perfect for a subscription to chicagoland gardening magazine it's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country every issue features spectacular photos articles by noted horticultural authorities nursery owners state extension agents master gardeners and more There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, regional reports, what to do in the garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere. But go to ChicagolandGardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to StateByStateGardening.com. Or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. Ain't nothing in the world that i like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes up in the morning out in the garden get you ripe when you don't get a hardin'. plant them in the spring eat them in the summer all winter without a culinary buns. yeah we know where we're I going get with this <laughs> all about the sweating and digging every time i go out and and everybody say homegrown tomatoes homegrown tomatoes Yep, that's what we're talking about today because uh, we've got Casey Tomato on the line, direct from Casey, Mo, where we are talking tomatoes, and we've got some questions. And uh, let's repeat the question we 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 had for Casey Peggy. What was that?
2: So the question that came in from Fred on Facebook: How do I best revive my heat blasted tomato plants? He also has a huge infestation of nut sedge that he's trying to remove.
5: And I assume he's not in Chicago. If it's heat blasted, there's...
2: He said, it's very hot for us beach people. So I'm not sure where he is. Beach
5: people. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, well, and I'm, now that makes me wonder if he's got sandy soil. Uh, that, it,
3: that's what I was wondering, too. Yeah. Because that's going to hold the heat.
5: That'll hold the heat. Also, it it it... Uh, drains the nutrients uh, so if we could find yeah. out w- where he lives that's going to help us with our question because we need to know what his soil situation is uh, especially if, uh, so okay, um, well, it makes the nuts
3: that's easier to pull <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah it
5: does doesn't it okay
3: <laughs> benefit of that um, the, the couple things I can think of real quick are um, you know mulch not too deeply, but mulch the ground, shade that ground, and keep the roots cool. There's mm-hmm. some evidence that keeping the roots cool will help that set range in the higher temperatures. They've done research of that in Georgia and Alabama, and you know they talk about planting the root ball a little bit deeper. And some people say, yeah, you don't have to do that. That doesn't have an effect, but it's, it's, there is some research showing that planting it a little bit deeper in the cooler zone will help the plant deal with heat stress, but really just to mulch it. Now, if you really want, want to go as far and it's really hot, um, get some shade cloth. And I know it's kind of expensive, really, but you don't need much, you know, like 20 or 30% um, shade. And, and right, just, you don't have to cover you know, the whole
5: thing. The it's not like covering the, up the whole plant under an umbrella. Right, but just, and I, would, yeah. I
3: wouldn't even want to put it on the plant because it, even if you take that black and you put it on the plant, it's almost like putting that clear plastic on it, but mm. you know build a little screen around it the hot part of the day, shade it from the the hot sun, get it cooled down a little bit. You don't want to do that that's great for peppers um but it you know tomatoes really want the light, so it's, it's kind of tricky doing that, but uh you know and, and keep the the ground well watered to keep the roots cool because there's there's not a whole lot you can do about. To air other than you know airflow don't crowd the plants which you know right. you're probably in a position where you're already got things established so there's not a lot you can do about that
5: you know the minute I heard the word beach it just made me think this is uh, all kinds of problems these are there are all kinds of problems that can come up uh, with that including as we said nutrients and heat and even water. Health. Water draining very through very quickly. You're talking about you know proper watering. Uh, it depends on how sandy the soil is because you really you, you want good drainage with the tomato, but you don't want pure sand there, do you?
3: No, because there wouldn't be anything to hold the nutrients. Like you right.
5: mentioned, yeah. So it's, um, uh, and every, and what about clay? How what, do you, what kind of soil do you have down, down there in KC?
3: I'd call mine Rocky. Okay. (laughs) Um, Ours is actually, it depends on where you're at. It can be really good soil. Um, Or it can be, since Kansas City is the confluence of rivers, it can be really heavy clay. And a lot of people say we have clay soils. and We're kind of in a mix between the two, depending on where you are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just to add organic matter, um, I was surprised. I hadn't done a soil test for years, and I came up with 7.4 my ph which Hmm. really surprised
5: me i've had seven uh, i had a seven six in my backyard okay so you so you're like us you're alkaline down there in in kansas well
3: not normally here but yes and it's probably because where i live there's a creek behind me and there's a lot of uh, there's a hill and a lot of limestone Uh so it probably has a lot to do with that
5: um we found out we did a little tracking and found out our our, our questioner lives in California. And now California, oh, okay. California is being blasted with heat. And I would think that at a certain point, there's almost nothing you can do to protect that plant.
3: You know, not when it gets up to 100 and stuff. But, you know, I just went through that. And um, the, the serendipity thing is that is I have to, when I grow out and breed, I look at a lot of different plants. And some of them set fruit in this high temperature. Now, if they consistently do that over time, then I know I've got something with heat stress, but I can't necessarily say that, that you know by just looking at it one year, that one plant has this ability. Right. So I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. So it's kind of good for me because I can, I'm trying to breed regional. I'm trying to breed things adapted for the Midwest because we've lost a lot of our breeders, um, public breeders. And so, you know, I want to look at, how things do well here because the majority of what's bred is bred for California or Florida, North Carolina and a little bit of the new England area.
5: Mm -hmm. But you know, you know, one of the things that I've been saying lately as our show has been expanding to different markets around the country, and we're very happy about that. And we're going to talk about that uh, on the air real soon and do some shout outs uh, around the country. Uh, so, you know, if you've got a station in around KC that wants our our gardening program, uh, let us know, KC. But the point I, oh, I, I wa- okay. <laughs> the point I want to make, and you just kind of confirmed it, is that in a sense, all gardening is local. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you're you're dealing with your own environment, you're, the heat and, and the moisture and certainly the pH of the soil. So when you're giving gardening advice... You have to take all of that into account and not everybody has, you know, sandiness of the soil. Is it clay? Is it loamy? What do you got? And so when somebody like the the uh, the person who asked the question about his tomatoes sends partial information, we're scrambling to figure it out because we don't live there. So we need you know, and this is radio. We don't even have photos. Um, uh, but in a sense, and I don't know whether you agree with that, uh, I think that all gardening is local.
3: Yeah, th- yeah, pretty much. I mean, some things are universal, Um, but uh, that's that's part of the group that I'm in that I'll be up uh, at uh, the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. The Seed to Kitchen Collaborative is having an event at the end of September called Farm to Flavor. That's September and, 26th, um, right? There are certain breeding groups that are breeding organic and for regional conditions, and this is one of them. And um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to focus in on flavor, and we're trying to focus in on developing varieties grown in organic conditions for those regions. Mm -hmm. And um, Julie Dawson is the professor who's um, taken off and run with that, but that, that university has some Great public breeders left. have the last sweet corn uh, breeder, Bill Tracy, is there. Mm -hmm. And um, Erwin Goldman, he uh, breeds uh, beets. There's a golden beet that he has that I've yet to try, but he says it doesn't taste like beets. He's figured out how to get rid of that, what I call dirt taste. Um, But, uh, you know, it's kind of this uh, going back. They used to fund public um, breeding at universities. And in the Reagan era, the the companies kind of approached the USDA and said, well, what are you spending all that money for developing regional things? We'll just give it to the companies, and we'll do widely adapted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you run into the problem that, you know, somebody's breeding something in California and said, well, you know, here, let's do it for the rest of the country, see if it works. And if it works, then it's widely adapted, but it may not be the best thing adapted for that uh, Mm. farmer, so – this local movement, this um, going back to heirlooms where they are kind of adapted and looking at that um, is really kind of tr- getting a resurgence through different groups like the Culinary Breeding Network and the Stone Farm Barns um, of Dan Barber of yeah. the Third Plate is trying to do up in New England.
2: Yeah, I was uh, looking at his it's site. It's
3: actually really exciting. That's the, the Row 7
2: Seeds? The Row 7 Seeds?
3: Seven Seeds? Yeah. Row 7 Seeds, Correct.
5: Uh, and, um, well, in I the just West
3: Coast, there would be like wild
5: well, garden seed. I just part. want to give, uh, another plug to what uh, you mentioned. I'm glad you brought up Farm to Flavor 2018. That's on September 26th at the Wisconsin Institutes of Discovery. Um, and it's sponsored by the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative of the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Um, and, and so I go to their page and I see this paragraph <laughs> that says. The collaborative evaluated over 70 varieties of tomatoes in its first three years. Some favorites came from Keith Mueller, an independent breeder in Missouri. Keith specializes in intensely flavored fruits in every color, from bright yellow to the dark purple of his Anthocyanin lines he often incorporates a rare apricot blush gene into his lines which gives a yellow fruit a red orange blush around the base as it ripens <laughs> yikes mm-hmm. well you're you're um, a fancy guy and i didn't realize that till i went to the seed to kitchen collaborative site
3: well i, I just really made it you know, I really wanted to focus in on flavor because mm-hmm. as a kid, I hated tomatoes. Yeah. And at a place called Kingdom City, uh, we were going, I'm from Hannibal, Missouri, originally, and we were going back to visit, and they snuck a tomato in on my hamburger. And this would be like, really like 1969, 1970. And um, I'm like, what is that? That tastes good. <laughs> and when I got back to my <laughs> grandfather, I asked him, he's like, oh, well, tomatoes from the garden, you know, taste much better. And I was like, oh, well, then I'll eat tomatoes, you know. Uh, so I knew things could be better. And when I went in the produce market, I knew things could get better. Um, and I, I knew there were other things and other people doing things out there. Uh, but what, it really took off when I met Craig because he showed me varieties. that are like, okay, that you put in your mouth, and you don't even have to think about what it tastes like. <laughs> it speaks to you. As he puts it, it speaks to you immediately. It's got the wow factor. Yeah. My wife calls it tomato sex in your mouth. Uh, Because it it just, right away, it really hits you. And not everything's that way. I go through a lot of turkeys. But um, just being really focused in on flavor, um, it's not going to be the tomato that saves the world or anything like that, but it's going to give chefs an opportunity to take things to another level. And I think it's things that they may not produce as many as, say, a garden gym, but you know, it's... You're going to get something, and it's really worth the wait.
5: Well, that's we'll leave it at there. Casey Tomato, I hope we get to meet up maybe in Wisconsin. Uh, Go to Casey at Casey Tomato. From boat to doorstep.
8: Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Have you ever walked into a hair salon
0: and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals?
7: Afternoons have never been smarter, 1590 WCGO, smart talk for the North Shore.
1: With arms of steel
0: like Hercules, yeah! feet as fleet as Mercury, oh,
9: yeah!
1: he'll fight for us, do right for us,
0: he'll be a
9: beacon light for us, He's will he us, go, go from Hannibal, Hannibal. Go, 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 go like a bat out do yeah.
5: you know where, <laughs>
3: he'll
9: from Hannibal, let him know you're
2: there. Joe from Hannibal
5: yep, there he is, our very own Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Moe, a.k.a. Casey Tomato. Uh, Randall
2: looks totally confused.
5: And uh, he doesn't know what's going on. He's falling so asleep. I think so. Just, just whack him, Ellie, just upside the head, okay? Just boom. Um, anyway, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we were just talking, before we get to our next guest, uh, with Casey Tomato, we're going to figure out a way get, to get some of his tomato seeds Uh, And maybe we can share them with some Mm -hmm. of our listeners. I certainly want to grow some of those. And I know Kathleen's listening at home saying, yes. And the other thing I just wanted to say real quick, and I wish you were still on the line. I like the beet taste. I like the earthy. It's beets. It's beets. It's It's not supposed to taste like cherries. It's supposed to taste like a beet.
2: Well, then more people might like them then.
5: Uh, I'd like to think that my tastes are sophisticated because I like the beet Taste. There you go. All right, let's bring in our, our guests here. Our final segment, Rick DeMaio not here today. We're giving him a day off. Do, and do we want to give a shout-out
2: to our friends at Sitka Salmon?
5: Uh, yes, please do that real quick, because I want to dig up something that I got also from our another friend of the show. Uh, we're cramming a lot in here until the last segment.
2: Just We had Sitka Salmon on last week. Nick Mink just wanted to remind people you can still get a $25 discount on any 2018 a uh, sustainable seafood community seafood share. If you go to SitkaSalmon.com, mm-hmm. use code Mike Novak 18 That's Mike, N-O-W-A-K-18, and you can be enjoying...
5: Fresh well, and you seafood were shares. right, and you were going to give a shout out to one of our listeners who signed up for one of our shares, that right? That would be Audrey. That would be Audrey. So thank you, Audrey. And I'm looking for the stuff that ah, uh, see, I I made the mistake of reorganizing my inbox, and now I can't find it. That's why you can't find anything in there. Uh, and, and actually, that would be SitkaSalmonShares.com. SitkaSalmonShares.com. Uh, oh, here we are. Um, Uh, because uh, Dan, or rather, uh, Pat Skatch, who uh, often fills in uh, for Rick DeMille, sent me a couple of emails, and one was about the loss of daylight since June 21st. No! Yes, I know, it happens. Uh, We have lost a total of 44 minutes of daily sunshine, you know, three-quarters of an hour. Uh, June 21st, the set was 8.31, and July 29th, uh, which is today, it will be 813 Um, And he also sent me uh, information about water, uh, the rainfall, and this plays into our next guest's Um, July rain. So far, we've had one point zero seven inches. The norm is three point one five. Our deficit, we're down two point zero eight inches of rain for July. But since June, June 1st, we're still up by two inches. So we've had dry weather recently, um, but uh, it's you know so the the top of the ground the upper layer of the ground is very dry right now, and the lower layer still mm-hmm. has some moisture. So with that in mind, let's bring in our two guests. We have Stephanie Walquist and Terry Gouin. Um, they are with the West Cook Wild Ones. They're having their Birds, Bees, and Butterflies: A Native Garden Tour next Sunday. Uh, from 1 to 4 in Oak Por- Park, sorry, Oak Park and River Forest. Uh, Stephanie and Terry, good morning.
10: Morning. Good morning. Hey,
5: good, good morning. Uh, Terry, it's so good to talk to you. Uh, Terry and I go back a ways, unfortunately, too many years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not enough years, Mike. Yeah, yeah years. you're right. Uh, we've yeah. been fighting the, f- yeah. the, the good fight, uh, we hope. Uh, uh, we were uh, together uh, with an organization called MILA, Midwest Ecological Landscape Alliance, uh, and that's kind of how we met. But I've been to your house, and I've seen your garden, yeah. probably not for, ee, I want to say 10 years. I, I was there in a top hat. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know if you remember can, can, that.
10: Can I, can I share with your listeners a couple tidbits
5: here? Sure, go ahead. One, <laughs>
10: one is that I was to me that not many people in our region, people have heard of MILA. MILA has grown into a very healthy organization and it's now associated with kind of mainstream sustainable landscaping in the Chicagoland region, but Mike Novak was actually one of the original founders of this whole idea and then it kind of like organizations transition and they grow and I think a lot of the newer people associated with the effort don't realize where some of the seed ideas came from, so I just thought it pass that one out and the the other one was that when you showed up at my house you were wearing something that looked it came out of Charles Dickens. Yeah. Because you were caroling that night.
5: Yep. <laughs> uh and I still do. I still carol. I still, oh, you
2: still do. Oh my goodness. He yes. yes. still looks like Charles Dickens.
5: And I still wear the top hat and uh, the uh, great. the the yeah. whole outfit. In fact, uh, anybody listening need a, a a caroling group for their event in the uh, holiday season. Frozen Robins. Call the frozen. Go to frozenrobbins.com. Right. dot com. Yes, <laughs> I got. I'll put oh, it, wow. put perfect. in the plug there. Yep. So yeah, I st- <laughs> you know some things never change, Terry. Uh,
2: <laughs> and and your garden is one of the ones on the birds, bees, and butterflies tour. The old friends' garden. <laughs> yes, it is,
10: and. And so um, I heard you guys earlier talking about seeds. I actually have seeds because I had a plant that I don't know if it came out in the Morton Arboretum, um, Schulenburg Prairie, but it's uh, this map is illewnensis. It's, it's a bundle flower. Mm-hmm. Since so I don't like maintain my garden too much, I've got these standing kind of ones from last year. I and mean, be anybody who wants to come by, they're not the, the tomato or whatever seeds you're talking about, but they're native. Illinois plant seeds that seem to do pretty well.
5: They're not. Bundle orange. flower.
10: Bundle Just flower. Like yeah. uh,
5: I would love to but have yeah. some of that. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the photo. Yeah, so. If folks go to Mike dot net, I put up a photo of Ruelia Humilis which is a native yes. petunia. I have the most beautiful stand of Ruelia, and and I challenge anybody to come up with a better photo, a gorgeous photo. than the one I have on my website today uh, because I, I've i gone to various sites to see Ruelia, and they it, they don't look as good as the one in my yard. So I'm like, wow. I'm kind of surprised that it's doing so well, but I'm real happy with it, and it's a native. So let's, with that, well, let's... Maybe,
10: maybe the West Cook Wild ones need to put you on this the 18th part. of It'll be the extension. It's actually that. in bloom right now. Yeah. So when you go to, um, it's actually the West Cook Wild Ones. So it's westcook.wildones.org and this year we have 17 in the River Forest and Oak Park area. Um, some are the Conservancy and the Park District of Oak Park, some are River Forest Public Schools but we also have the Uh, And I'm not going to be able to mention everyone, but uh, Doug Chen has had his garden on for a number of years. He calls it the Rare Plant Ecosystem Garden. We have Lenora Pullman and Art Weible, and they have. Well, I'm going to have
5: to interrupt you for a second because because we're running out of time, and I want to talk to Stephanie too because Stephanie is a citizen scientist and butterfly expert, and you've got a garden in there too, right, Stephanie?
9: Yes, I do. Um, So yeah, we have 17 different gardens, um, three of which are. in our, our park district, so the Oak Park, the park district of Oak Park is doing a lot with sustainability and green mm-hmm. infrastructure. So there's three beautiful gardens uh, using different native plants um, in different ways. The two school gardens um, are really incredible. I hope uh, people can make it to both. Uh, there's the Irving School and the Lincoln School. Um, the Lincoln School in River Forest, uh, it's definitely driven by students. They've researched. Um, they create online materials about it. If you go, you can, um, you know, scan uh, the QR codes to student-directed videos about the plants. Um, the teacher Karen Burns has a, does a lot with curriculum um, with her students. And at Irving, which is um, across the across the place from Doug Shen, um which uh, Terry just mentioned his yard, uh, they have a barn swallow nesting box. They have a nesting box for um, northern flickers. They have a bug hotel, a bee pool. They have a little prairie. They have a butterfly and uh, a butterfly garden that they just worked um, this past year. So I really hope people can get to the schools as well. And then Doug Chen, he does, um, he, he burns. We're going to have together. to leave it at eat. that.
5: I'm sorry. We're going to have to oh, leave I'm it at that. I'm sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. We're out of time. But go to my website, MikeNovak.net, for all the information about the Birds, Bees, and Butterflies, a native garden tour hosted by Wild Ones West Cook. Until next time, go green or... Go home.
7: How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing.
6: Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>